All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquest. The grass is cut and it smells fresh. That can only mean one thing. Baseball is back. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back into All Talks of Life. I am your host, Chris Beniquez, excited to be back with you once again. The grass is cut, it's fresh, it's green, it's new, it's ready to go, it's fertilized, it's watered, baseball is back. That's right, my boys in blue, they are back, the white and blue, the pinstripes, the Bronx is ready for Mission 28 to be commenced. Before we get to all of that championship talk, this is Holy Week. I just hope that everybody's doing good and celebrating Holy Week. Let's never forget the reason why we still have life and breath in our lungs is because of God himself. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. So let's celebrate Holy Week. Easter is fast approaching. Good Friday is fast approaching. Easter is fast approaching. Celebrate it with your families. It's not about a, it's not about a bunny, especially that fraud, the Energizer Bunny. That's another story for another day, for another time. I'm excited. I am excited because my Yankees are back. Baseball is back. But also, there's some drama going on right now in the Bronx. It is Brian Cashman versus... Aaron Judge. I'm going to give my thoughts on that. I don't, I, I was going to start out talking about Yankees and uh, their four games that they've had so far at the time of this recording, but I want to start out with Aaron Judge. The reason why I want to start out with Aaron Judge is because he's a big time player. That deserves a big-time contract in a big-time city going against a big-time GM and a big-time name in the Steinbrenner family. So, the New York Yankees, they are not... Their modus operandi is not to disclose money issues. But on Friday... April 9th, they decided to, you know, do that for one of the very rare times in their history. They decided that it was all right for the New York Yankees to disclose a contract negotiation. Now, I want you to understand that the reason I believe that the New York Yankees, Brian Cashman, the Steinbrenner family, who definitely knew, get this straight, the Steinbrenner family definitely knew that Brian Cashman was going to come out and he was going to say what he was going to say. He was going to disclose what he was going to disclose. Brian Cashman understands his role, understand who his bosses are. Brian Cashman not going to come out of his comfort zone uh, or the comfort zone of the Steinbrenner family, Hal Steinbrenner in particular. Now, I know that Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner, they got a great relationship. The Steinbrenner family loves the Cashman family. I understand all of that. But let's not, make, let's not get anything twisted here. 
Al Steinbrenner is in control of the New York Yankees. Of Brian Cashman and his role. So before Brian Cashman came out and made the announcement, I'm sure that there were that there were talks. Obviously, this is not out there, it's not reported or anything, but I'm sure that there were talks between Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman, and maybe some other people. I'm not sure who they are. But let me just take the main two players here in the conversation. What I think happened between these two guys. What I believe happened between these two guys was that, hey, we're going to go out there. Well, you're going to go out there, Brian Cashman. You're going to tell the, the media the number that, that we you know, offered Aaron Judge. And you're going to make us look like the good guys. You're going to avoid the fans coming out and lashing out on social media against us and try to put the ball in Aaron Judge's court. I understand that. You're the company. You, you have to make yourself look good. I, I, I get all of that. Please don't think that I don't see and understand the side of the corporation, of the entity that is the New York Yankees. I see and get that side. But I am not with that side in this particular moment, in this particular negotiation, with this particular player. Usually, you hear me come on here and you hear me talk how I am with the organization. Except when they rehired Aaron Boone. But a lot of times when they make their moves, I'm with them. I understand the thinking behind it. The Yankees are not an organization who makes rash decisions nowadays. The way that George Steinbrenner made them back in the 80s and made a lot of bad moves. And the New York Yankees were only in one World Series appearance that they lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers back in 1981. It's not the same thinking, not the same brain trust that happened in the early 90s and the mid 90s and in the early and in the late 90s that led the New York Yankees to home grow players and all of a sudden have a core four. A lot of guys around them, great pitching, led to four world championships in five years, led to, led to seven World Series appearances in the Derek Jeter era. That's not, that's not what happened in the 80s. There was rash thinking in the 80s. There was good thinking going on in the early 90s, throughout the 90s. Some rash thinking going on in the mid-2000s. Then, 2009, during the free agency, Yankees thought to themselves, well, let's go get the best pitcher available, C.C. Sabathia. Let's go get the best first baseman, slugger, and glove available at that position in Marta Teixeira. They ended up winning the World Series. Last time the Yankees were in it, last time the Yankees won it. Been a long, long, long time ago. My Yankees have even, have even been in the World Series. And I don't want to hear nothing about 2017. I don't want to hear nothing about, from, any, from every Yankee fan listening right now, I want to hear zero 
And when I mean zero, I mean zero, zip, nada, zilch, about 2017 and about the Houston Astros and about the way that they cheated. I mean, nothing about that because Brian Cashman continues to bring that up. That that's the reason why the Yankees haven't won a World Series title. That's garbage. I want people to understand that right now. For those that don't understand the game of baseball, don't follow it. Don't understand what, they, what you know, the Yankees, what we're about. We're not about sitting up here making these kind of excuses that Brian Cashman made over the course of this past summer. I'm sorry, this past spring. Somebody asked him. I'm getting to the Aaron Judge part. I, I, I haven't got off course. Somebody asked Brian Cashman. You guys haven't won a World Series in a long time. What's up? I'm paraphrasing the question. Brian Cashman's response is that I cringe when I hear that question because I believe basically we won a World Series championship in 2017 because the Astros cheated because of some of the things they were doing. Banging on cans, stealing signs, doing, doing other nefarious acts, unwritten rules of baseball and things like that that stole the championship from us. Really? No, no, no. Brian Cashman does not speak about what about in that 2017, if we were to beat them, what would have happened on the other side in the World Series? So Brian Cashman is saying, book it. We would have won the World Series had we gotten there. Brian Cashman is not saying maybe we would have got somebody would have got injured. Maybe the other team was better than us. No, he was saying, book it. We were better than the other team on the other side. We were better than everybody that season. But because somebody cheated, while at the same time, Brian hypocrite, hypocrite Cashman in that moment knows that there's a letter out there that's going to be released by the MLB that was released by a judge that he doesn't want released, stating on how the New York Yankees also stole signs during the very same season. But let Brian Cashman tell it, and Brian Cashman will blame it all on the Houston Astros for the reason why the Yankees haven't won won a World Series in about 13 years. 12 years. At the end of this year, if we don't win, it'll be 13. That's right there. Hypocritical, garbage, nonsense. You hear it here. Straight like that. That's what it is. But the rash decisions are not being made right now. Rational decisions, thoughtful decisions are being made nowadays in the Bronx. And sometimes too much rationality leads you away from faith. Too much thinking leads you away from the spirit of the game. That goes for everything in life. A lot of people out there Think a certain way. It has to be this way. I crunch the numbers this way. This is what's in the manual. This is the way it goes. You know, people don't write perfect things in everything that they do. There, there, there's, 
sometimes they miss a word or miss a sentence or they forget to verbiate it in a certain way. So a lot of times you got to catch, read between the lines, catch the spirit of what the person is trying to say and make it work for you. So the Yankees to me have gotten so thought out, so brainstormy, so rational, so all I need are the guys from MIT to tell us what is going to help us and lead us to win. Basically, what we need is the nerds pumping out the computers, getting their computer reads, telling us what kind of team to put together that'll win. Clearly, it has not worked. Because the New York Yankees haven't won a World Series in 12 years. But Brian Cashman, Hal Steinbrenner, yet again, coming out and thinking very clearly to what they thought was the right decision. Over brainstorming, overthinking. Sometimes when a, a fighter will tell you, I overtrained. That's why I didn't look my best tonight. Sometimes you overthink things. You overdo things. That's what the New York Yankees did here. That's my belief. In this point, in this time, in this moment, it's my belief. That's what the New York Yankees did. Now, what I'm going to say is, Maybe I'll turn out to be wrong. Maybe Brian Cashman will turn out to be right. Maybe Hal Steinbrenner will turn out to be right. Maybe the guys from MIT will turn out to be right. But for that to happen, Aaron Judge will have to get hurt. God forbid that happens. For that to happen, Aaron Judge will have to have a no-good season we don't anticipate that happening if he's healthy. So Brian Cashman comes out and in non-Yankee fashion, seems like a lot of things have been done non-Yankee fashion for the last 12 seasons. But in non-Yankee fashion, Brian Cashman comes out and tells the media, we offered... Aaron Judge, an extension of $230 million over the next eight years. Now, problem number one. Please don't think and please don't fall into believing this notion. This is not a $230 million deal. It's not. This is a $213 million deal. Brian Cashman comes out and he says, we offered Aaron Judge eight years, $230 million per. Crunch the numbers. That's what it comes out to. Okay. Here's the problem. Aaron Judge is going to get paid in 2022 Either 17, 19, or 21 million dollars. They anticipate it's going to be 17. The reason that being is because of arbitration. Aaron Judge, this year, his, his salary is 
it is going to be determined by an arbiter because this is the last year of his rookie contract. He wanted 21 million. The Yankees wanted to offer him 17. The judge, the independent arbiter will probably land on 19. Maybe. We'll see what happens at the end of the year, depending on what kind of a year Aaron Judge has, but he is at least guaranteed $17 million. So you take 213, you add it up, 17, you get to 230. But the problem is that this season, 2022, is not an extension, Brian Cashman. This is part of Aaron Judge's rookie contract. So you can't come out and tell the media and tell the fans that you offered Aaron Judge an eight-year, $230 million deal because that's bogus. It's a lie. That's, that's one of the reasons why I'm on Aaron Judge's side from the beginning. I'll get to another reason in a little bit. But the first reason is because that's not the contract. Now, will Aaron Judge make over the next eight seasons in base salary $230 million? Yes. But is it an extension of eight years and 230? No. He's guaranteed his money year this year anyway. The extension. Okay, this is what we got to focus on here. The real money that was offered by the New York Yankees by Brian Cashman was $213 million over seven years. $30 million a season. Now, the exact money was two thirteen and a half. Thirty and a half, thirty point five a year. All right, extra five hundred grand. I, I I just want to put a round number on it. So I'm saying seven two thirteen thirty a year. Now the report is this: they were way way off on the numbers. The report is that the numbers that Cashman has in his head, and the numbers that. Aaron Judges has in his head about 60 to 70% difference. That is being in a that is being in different financial universes. Aaron Judge, according to reports, wanted a contract of at least $36 million a year for nine or ten years. So Aaron Judge wanted. $360 million over 10 years, or he wanted $324 million over nine years. It's the math. That's the way it adds up. I have a slightly different number. But I want to get to Brian Cashman's number. $30.5 million a year. The second highest outfielder to be paid in the history of baseball with the number that, that Brian Cashman threw out. Now, I, I know what you're saying. I hear you on the other side of this. Second highest paid outfielder of all time? Really? Per year? You're talking about behind the great Mike Trout, who I spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. You guys go back and listen to that as I broke down the 100 greatest baseball players of all time, the ESPN list, I broke down the final 25. Gave you the reason for, uh, you know, spoke about Mike Trout a little bit. 
I, I you know what? And and I'm actually cool with the fact that Aaron Judge understands behind Mike Trout, I'll take that kind of money behind Mike Trout. I'm cool with that. All right, fine. I get it. And and, and the thing that we're talking about is we're talking about total money. That's what Aaron Judge is saying. Aaron Judge is saying total money. I'm cool with being behind Mike Trout. I'm fine with that. As in total value. And also behind Mookie Betts by $5 million in total value. But being paid per year, I want to be over Mike Trout and over Mookie Betts. I want to be over the highest paid player per year. Garrett Cole. Outside of Matt Scherzer, who has a three-year deal, $43 million a year, but that's a short deal. So outside of that deal that nobody's ever gotten, $40 million a year, Aaron Judge said, I want to be the highest paid outfielder per year. Second highest paid player in baseball per year. And, and, and I just want to make a little bit over Garrett Cole. Just a little bit. I'll be the highest paid player on my team. I want to be regarded as the captain. I want to be regarded as the face of the franchise. So I want to be paid as the face of the franchise. I understand that. But Brian Cashman doesn't. Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner, their whole thing is Aaron Judge will get hurt. Aaron Judge is not worth that kind of money, face of the franchise money. Now, they didn't say he will get hurt. Please don't misquote me. Please don't misunderstand me. They didn't wish him to get hurt. I know that I know that they don't want him to get hurt. No, nobody, no owner wants their team to get hurt in any point. They, they wish that they could play every single game. But I understand that 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, Aaron Judge missed a considerable amount of time each season. Now, 2017 was rookie. He came up, what, halfway up the season, halfway up the year. So we're talking about 2018, 2019, 2020. Missed 39 home runs and over 120 RBI. So Aaron Judge had a productive year last year. If Aaron Judge sits out here and has that same kind of season or a little bit better, Aaron Judge is going to get paid and Aaron Judge understands that very, very clearly. So Aaron Judge is saying this to, to Brian Cashman. Listen, I'll be on average, the second highest... I'll be on average the highest paid outfielder. I'll be in total value number three in the league in all time. Am I not worth that? Ryan Cashman says no. 
Now, the reason why Aaron Judge wants this kind of contract. The reason why Aaron Judge is asking for this kind of contract is because Aaron Judge, by the end of the year, will be 31 years old. Aaron Judge decided to go to college as a baseball player. When that, when you're a, when you're a great talent, a superstar talent, and you're ready to go, you'll be ready to go by 20, 21 years old to come up to the big leagues. Going back, going to college and playing your 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 full term will hurt you when you come up to the big leagues. You'll be you'll be ready to go once you come out of college. But by the time that you get out of your six year rookie deal, it's not like the NFL. First round picks get a fifth year option from the team. Second year, uh, second round, second round players get four year deals. That's what they get. In baseball, it's a six-year rookie deal. You can't get out of it. That's what you get. Now, in the last year, you can file for arbitration. If you feel like you're worth more than what they're going to pay you in that last year, and you've produced, a, and you've produced, you can go to an arbiter and you can say, hey, I think I'm worth this. The team will say, well, we think you're worth this. Realistically, and a judge will say, all right, we'll land somewhere in the middle. I'll figure it out. Let's see what the end of the year looks like. And then we'll figure out exactly what it is that you're going to land on at the end of the season. That's well, a little different in baseball when it comes to that last year. Aaron Judge was 24 when he came up. He'll be 31 at the end of this season. So he understands that. He's only going, he is only going to go in, into free agency one time in his career. Players usually go two times. There's some on a rare occasion that even go three, depending on, 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 the kind of, on the kind of contracts that they sign. Now, we know that that's going on more in the NBA uh, with, the way that the, the, with the way that LeBron James has changed the way that contracts are negotiated. So... It's a detriment in some ways, and it's a good thing in other ways. But that's not what I'm trying to get into right now. So usually, a player in Aaron Judge's predicament, you get one crack at the apple. One bite at the apple. That's it. He's been great. The times he's been healthy, when he's been in, when he's been in uniform. Over the last six years. That's why his arbitration deal is what it is. That's why they're negotiating what he should get paid. And he's going to get paid life-changing money. I mean, whether you get paid 17, 19, or 21. Hey, you should be able to live off of that. If you never play another game. And you manage it correctly. So, let's get back on point. Aaron Judge has... One contract to negotiate. It's another reason I'm on his side. The Yankees wanted to give him a contract from 31 to 37 years old. I am on board with that when it comes to the, when it comes for the New York Yankees. A hundred percent. I don't think the Yankees should get into the 38th, 39th, and 40th year of the life of Aaron Judge as a player in the MLB. Aaron Judge is 6'7", 280. You just hear what I said? Six, seven, two, eighty. We're talking about sky is the size 
of the heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury. Have you seen Tyson Fury? That's a big man. Aaron Judge is the size of the man who's punching lights out of people in a ring right now and is about to and is set to strap up April 23rd versus Dillian White. That's the size of Aaron Judge. I don't not sure if I trust the body of Aaron Judge to hold up 38, 39 and 40. And quite honestly, I'm not sure if Aaron Judge's I'm not sure if Aaron Judge trusts his body to hold up. Which is the reason why he it's reported that he wants eight or nine years. Not I'm sorry, ten, nine or ten years. He wants to get that security long term. I understand that from Aaron Judge's perspective. But just on that and only that portion, I am with the Yanks. Talking about the years now. Just the years of the contract. For me, the years are such a problem that I would give Aaron Judge seven years, the same amount of time that the Yankees want to extend them for, and I'd go to 40 or even 45 million if he were to ask for it. But that's me. I know that there are other Yankee fans that might feel the same way. There are other Yankee fans that say, no way, you're crazy. I understand that. But we're talking about 280 300 to 300 million dollars. Aaron Judge wants 360 or 324. Whether you're talking about 9 or 10 years. I don't want nothing to do with 9 or 10 years. I don't want nothing to do with 8 years. I'm hesitant to do 7 years, but you know what? I can see it. You keep yourself in shape. You do the things you did last season to keep yourself healthy. And by the time we get to the sixth year and the seventh year of the deal, you'll be the DH of the team. You'll be the guy that is just batting. You're not playing the outfield. You'll be all right. So that's why I'm cool with even, I'm cool with a seven-year deal. Because the way that baseball is structured, and you can sit down and you can do that with the DH. So Aaron Judge asked for this contract because he wants to be the highest paid player on his team. He's the face of the team. When you go out to Yankee Stadium, what you see is 99 jerseys all around everywhere. So Aaron Judge's teammate, John Carlos Stanton, he signed a 13-year, $325 million deal. Aaron Judge wants more, more than that if he gets a 10-year deal. He wants more on average, way more on average than that. We're talking about John Carlo making about 25 a year, 27 a year. We're talking about Aaron Judge making more per year than Garrett Cole. So he wants to outright have the most money on the Yankees with that 10-year deal. He wants to be treated as the face of the franchise. He wants to be treated as the face of the city. So I understand that. But yet again, I I just cannot go with the years that he's asking for. But I can go with the money. Aaron Judge turns around. He looks at another deal. 
He looks at Bryce Harper. He signed a 13-year, $330 million deal, $33 million a year. He wants more than that. He believes he's worth more than Bryce Harper. He believes that he's a better leader. He believes he's a better player. That's what Aaron Judge believes. He sees that Bryce Harper got signed at 20, at 26 years old. That he'll be getting money till he's 39. John Carlo got signed at 25. He'll be getting money till he's 38. Okay? So this is this is the thought of Aaron Judge. I'm looking at myself against other players. I believe that I deserve more money than all these other guys, except for two. And I deserve to be annually paid higher than all of them, except for one. So I'm putting myself right there at the tippy top of getting paid. But when it comes to outfielding, I'm putting myself at the top per year. Because of the things that I can do. I got a rocket for an arm. I can get to any ball because at my six seven with my six seven frame, I can I, I, I can take long strides. I can catch balls over the wall. I mean I'm an athlete. Six seven. I can move. You're gonna tell me I don't deserve this kind of money. I can play center field pretty well. I'm not, I can only. I, I'm not only a right fielder. I can also be put in that center field. I can cover ground because of how big I am. Pitchers fear me, especially in Yankee Stadium, where I'm going to be playing 81 times a season. You're going to tell me I don't deserve my money. You're going to tell me that all the people that come here, they don't come to see me? You're going to tell me that all those jerseys out there, they, they, they aren't, that's not my number on the back of them? Mookie Betts got a 12-year, $365 million deal. $26 million in annual value. But reason for that kind of annual value is because he got signing bonus of $65 million. For me, I'm cool with the fact that Aaron Judge respects Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and says, you know what? I'm not even trying to get the total money that you guys got. I'm just trying to get a little bit more annually. I'm not trying to get a 12-year deal. I'm not unreasonable like that. But I'm not going down the road that Brian Cashman wants me to go down. I'm not going down. If you believe that these players that I just mentioned right now are astronomically better, way, way better than Aaron Judge, then I don't know what to do or say to you. Because Aaron Judge not only is a great player that puts up great numbers, but Aaron Judge handles the New York media unlike anybody since Derek Jeter. And to handle the New York media is not an easy thing. To answer these kind of questions and to, and to tell the New York media, this is the last day I'm talking about it. I won't talk about it until the end of the season. 
It's not an easy thing to do. And to hold to that, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm not negotiating in the middle of the season. It's not, it's, it's not everybody that can do that. It's not everybody that can sit out here and say the things that he says in the posture that he says them with the mindset that he says them. Not every player can handle New York City. Not every player can do what he does. Don't forget that Aaron Judge finished second in the AL MVP voting in 2017. He didn't play the whole season. So when Aaron Judge has been healthy, Aaron Judge has been great. Last year, like I said, he only missed 14 games. If Aaron Judge repeats what he did last season. If Aaron Judge repeats not getting injured as he did last season. Brian Cashman is Brian Cashman is in for a world of hurt. Now I believe that Aaron Judge wants to stay in the Yankees organization for life. He said, "I want to be a Yankee for life." I believe him. I, t- I take him at his word. I really do. But Aaron Judge also wants to get paid what he deserves. He feels like he should get paid. Aaron Judge feels like I want to go out there and sweeten the pot. Aaron Judge said this a couple days ago. At the end of the year, I'm going to negotiate with 30 teams and the Yankees will be one of those 30 teams. That lets me know that Aaron Judge says is saying to himself and to his agent, I don't plan on getting hurt. I plan on having a great year. And I plan on every team bidding on my services and driving up the price of the New York Yankees. And if the New York Yankees do not want to pay me what I believe I deserve, I will go to somewhere where I'm appreciated because obviously I'm not appreciated here because they're lowballing me. Now, some people say, um, how is it that, you know, Aaron Judge is, is being lowballed? So I'll ask some people who know baseball relatively good if, if you believe that Aaron Judge is better than certain players. And then tell me, do you believe he's getting lowballed? Mike Trout. $426 million deal over 12 years, making $35 million a year. Do you believe that Aaron Judge deserves more money than he does? Total value of the contract? I do not. I wouldn't touch $400 million with Aaron Judge, even over seven years. That's a lot of money per year. The other people you got to sign as well. You got a team around that. Mookie Betts, 12-year deal, $365 million. I spoke about it earlier. Got a signing bonus of 65 mil. It averages out to about 30 million a year. The way that the contract is structured, 
but the actual money is about $26 million a year to the signing bonus. Francisco Lindor, 10 years, $341 million, getting paid $34.1 million a year. Do you believe Aaron Judge should get more money than him? He's going to get a contract till he's 37. Fernando Tatis Jr., 22 years old. He signed a 14-year deal worth $340 million. So he's going to be getting $24 million a year. Do you believe Aaron Judge should get paid more than him? Now, when it comes to total value, I am not I'm I'm not on the boat with Aaron Judge. When it comes to average salary, I'm there with him. He believes he should get about $36 million a year. Like I said earlier, I am on board for a seven-year deal at 45 at 40 to 45, no more than 45 million per. I understand that 45 million is a lot. But you can't go beyond seven years. It, it, it is just way, way too much. So I'm the Yankees. I offer a seven-year deal at 40 million per. Like I said earlier. You are you are going above everyone but Matt Scherzer at the average annual rate. And I believe that per year, Aaron Judge at his best, should be getting paid more than everybody but Mike Trout. Now, Mike Trout has a 12-year deal, so he won't be getting paid more than Aaron Judge, but that's because he has a 12-year deal. We're talking about five less years for Aaron Judge, so you, gotta up, you have to up the average annual value so that he can get some kind of value out of the contract. If it sounds a little confusing... I'm sorry, but we go to Bryce Harper. 13 years, $330 million deal. John Carlos Stanton, 13 years, 325. Corey Seager, 10 years, 325. Garrett Cole, his teammate, 9 years, 324. So he gets $36 million a year. Aaron Judge wants more money than that per season. He wants more money over the life of the contract. All right. I don't agree with you. Over the life of the contract. But $36 million not a bad, is, is not a bad average annual salary. 36.1 or something like that will make you number two in the league. Average annual salary will put you up there somewhere in the top 10 total value money. I mean, you got to understand, you're only going to you're only going to negotiate one contract. So you got to understand that as the Yankees as well, you're going to only negotiate one contract with this guy. Let the guy make his money while he's good. Do you believe that um Aaron Judge deserves more money than Manny Machado, 10 years, 300 million, 30 per? Do you believe that Aaron Judge should make more money than Nolan Arenado. Eight years at 260. That's 32 and a half million per. Those are the top 10 paid guys right now in the league. 
I'd want Aaron Judge on my team more than all these guys. Except for Mike Trout. And the only reason why we want Aaron Judge on my team more than any of these guys, even Mike Trout, is because he's more charismatic than all these guys. I think he's a better leader than all of these guys. You got to pay him for that too. He can handle the media better than any of these guys. You got to pay him for that too, Brian Cashman. You can't come out and make these wuss deals, man. You got to get the player. You got to get your guy. Disappointed in Brian Cashman right now. But I understand his position. They're going off the history of Aaron Judge has been hurt. I get all that. And that's fine. But ask yourself the question. Out of the 10 guys I named, how many do you think Aaron Judge should be paid more per year or value? And then you'll come up with your number. I gave you my numbers. Six at 45. Seven at 40. That comes out to about 280, somewhere around 300 million. I'm cool with that. Aaron Judge, Godspeed, man. I hope you don't, I hope you have an MVP season. I hope you don't get injured this year. And I hope that as you talk to all 30 teams next offseason, They get Brian Cashman to realize what you're really worth, man. I really do. I really, really do. <sighs> Baseball is back. The New York Yankees have played four games so far at the time of this podcast. New York Yankees are 2-2, two and two, beating the Red Sox twice, losing to them on Sunday Night Baseball. I was watching the K-Rod cast, great stuff from Michael K and Alex Rodriguez. If any of you, you know, you guys love baseball and you're watching Sunday Night Baseball, I definitely recommend the K-Rod cast. It's different. You're not going to get play-by-play play on every single play. But you're going to get a lot of people out there with knowledge of baseball. And you're going to definitely get some words from the baseball savant himself, uh, Alex Rodriguez. And obviously, Michael Kay, when he's calling a game, when he gets in his mode and he starts calling play by play, there's nobody better in the business. Not even Joe Buck. Not even Al Michaels when it comes to baseball. But the, as the season begins, Yankees, at the time of this recording, are going into their fifth game against the Toronto Blue Jays, who are who are three and one, who are probably the class of the AL East. I believe that the New York Yankees can win the division. Do I believe that they will win the division? Is a whole different question. Now. They got tonight Nestor Cortez versus uh, Kikuchi. And we'll see what happens tonight. Obviously, I like the Yankees in this game. They lost two straight. And they, they, they should be in for a, an awakening tonight. They should be 
using their, their arms, their bullpen arms tonight because Aaron Boone came out for the first two games. He used six arms in the first game out the bullpen, seven arms in the second game out of the bullpen. So they were not ready to go for Sunday Night Baseball. They lost 4-3 to three to the Red Sox. You can't continue this pace with your bullpen and, and think that you're going to make it to the end of the season not getting hurt. So I like the fact that the Yankees have a lot of depth. They've been carrying 16 pitchers, which is something that is not really, really uh, normal or regular for teams to really do as a baseball team. So my thing is you're carrying nine players that you want in the, in the lineup. Are you carrying uh, 16 pitchers? And you got eight positions outside of, the, outside of the pitcher. You got nine players for that. And to me, I'm fine with that. There are other people that are not. The Yankees are trying to use debt so that they can you know, continue to move guys around. I believe that the New York Yankees also want to, and this, this goes into the brainstorming that I was talking about with the New York Yankees. I think that the Yankees want to have guys at that, at that place where they're not going to be at that red line, where their bodies are not going to be too strained out and things like that. You know, with, with the way these guys work out, with the way these guys, you know, position the bat to get torque and launch angle and all these things. It's really, it's hard to not strain your oblique. It's hard to not, you know, strain a shoulder or an elbow and things like that. It's just different ways that they bat nowadays. It's just a totally different game in the focus of the batter. Now you're talking about exit velocity. You're talking about launch angles. That wasn't something that was enamored with in the 90s and, and the 80s and even before that it was just get wood on the ball that's changed so now when you focus on those things exit velocity and launch angle you have to bat a certain way and you have to put a certain torque and you have to dig your your heels in you know in a certain kind of way and it has led to a lot of injuries led to a lot of strikeouts so it's led to the game you know just being hard to watch and the fact that it leads to a lot of injuries, I believe that the New York Yankees have said to themselves in one of those brainstorming sessions, let's keep nine guys for eight positions, nine guys who can start for eight starting positions. Now, the other side of this is that every single night, there's going to be a guy that is not going to be happy. There's going to be a guy that knows I'm not a bench player. There's going to be a guy that every night knows, hey, man, I get paid a lot of money and you're sitting me down. There's going to be a guy that's going to say, I don't want to sit down today. I want to face this pitcher. I want to face this team. I'm, I'm a competitive guy. I put in a lot of work. And I, and I get that side of the argument. I really do because, you know, these are guys with ego. These are guys that are driven. These are guys that are competitive. So I get the fact that guys are going to be annoyed every single day and that there's going to be tensions rising inside of the Yankee clubhouse. But here's the thing, though. 
This is why as a manager, you manage. This is why you are called a manager, Aaron Boone. This is why as an owner of a team, you are called an owner of a team. Hal Steinbrenner. Now, to what I've heard, to what I believe from Aaron Boone is that you know, they called the team meeting before 10 days before the season, somewhere somewhere around that time. And then they explained to the guys, this is the plan for the season. And the guys were okay with it. Now, some guys might have shown that they were okay with it, said they were okay with it, but maybe they weren't. I don't know that. So far this season, they haven't come out in the media. I know, I know it's only the first week. But they haven't come out in the media and said that they're upset. The thing was that they won their first two games. They lost their last two. And if they lose tonight... Um, by the time this podcast drops, you'll know if they lost or not. And obviously, they have another game on Wednesday night, again, against the Blue Jays and Garrett Cole is starting. You know, maybe the tone will change. I don't know. I hope not. But as a manager, this is the onus that you have. This is the job that you have. The owner said... And everybody in the organization upstairs said, we want to carry nine players for eight positions. Somebody's going to be ego tripping and upset that they're not starting that day. All the while, Aaron Boone saying, I want to get DJ LeMayhew 500 at bats in the season, which I believe he deserves. The best hitter on the Yankees, the most consistent contact hitter on the Yankees. Who can also hit for some power. So I'm cool with. I, I Trust me. I am on board with DJ LeMahieu getting 500 at bats this season. Completely fine with that. But the thing is. For you to mathematically get him 500 at bats. Which I, don't, I don't know if they'll reach the number. They'll get somewhere in the 400s. You have to. Have him play every day. Now, you don't have to start him every day. But you have to have him play every day and bat in the top three of the lineup. So, obviously, every day, some guy is going to look at DJ LeMayu and say, you're taking my spot. Now, this is where you have to manage Aaron Boone. This is where you have to come in and you have to let guys know, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. If, it. if it's leading to team success... The guy should just say, hey, we're winning. The problem is that if they start losing, that's where the real coaching comes in. Can Aaron Boone do it? I hope so. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, yeah, he's going to do it. It's a book it. No, 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 no. I don't know that. I, I wasn't on board. I mean, on this podcast... I, I it was an emergency Yankees podcast. That's the name. That's the title of the podcast. Months back, when they rehired Aaron Boone, I wasn't with it. Still not an Aaron Boone fan. When it comes as a manager, I'm more of a Buck Showalter kind of guy. A guy who says, "All right, you know what? Give me your give me your computer printout, and I'll also give you what I think I should do." In conjunction with those two things. Now, I understand Buck Walter has not won a World Series championship. So all of you who say that, I get you. And you have a point. And I won't refute that point because it's not refutable. Because he hasn't won a World Series championship. 
But now they have Aaron Boone. So, I would rather have a guy like Aaron Boone or Dusty Baker or Joe Matt. Give me your printout. I'll give you my thoughts and we'll meet somewhere in the middle and let's go get this dang ring. That's not Aaron Boone. They want to be a people person, a player person. So if you want, if you're going to be a people person and a player person, player manager, manage the egos. Especially when the Yankees go on some kind of losing streak like we did right now. Now, my outlook for the New York Yankees this season, I believe the Yankees can win the division. Like I said earlier, the question is, can, will they win the division? I'm not fully sure about that. I'm not picking the Yankees to win the division. I know it's a long season. Certain things happen. The other day, Jordan Montgomery got hit with a ball right at the top of the shin, bottom of the knee. I'm not sure when he comes back. They say that he's day-to-day. Hopefully, be back sooner than later. But stuff like that happens. And I'm not sure if the Yankees have the elite arms. Well, I know the Yankees don't have the... I know that. I'm not... I don't think... I know the Yankees don't have the elite arms to put up with injuries, which is why Aaron Boone has to manage the bullpen better than what he has the first, especially in the first two games. So if you're going to go out there and what you're trying to do is win every two out of three, then you're going to wear out the bullpen in the first two and then give up the third game, hoping that that somebody will come through guys that aren't as talented to win you the third game. Or you're gonna go out there. You're gonna you you're gonna play four game set with a team, and you're gonna throw your everything you have out there. The first two games, you're gonna rest the third game, and then the fourth game, you're gonna try to come back with something to try to get three out of four. That's kind of the mindset right now in the Bronx. So they're not kind of they're not going for the throat. They're not trying to win every single game, but they're trying to win the series. So I, I, I don't know if that not non-cutthroat mentality is going to win them the division. I just don't think so. But the Toronto Blue Jays are a young team that have three second-generation players, Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio's son. I, I forget Craig Biggio's son's name right now. But... That infield is just incredible, incredible. The fielding, the hitting that comes out of the infield in Toronto, plus the fact that if you are not vaccinated and you go to play in Toronto, you will not be let into the country so you can't play. It's going to help Toronto out a lot because all their players are vaccinated because they had to get vaccinated. So they have an advantage when you go to Toronto, an extra advantage because they're at home and then you can't bring all your players if they're not vaxxed. So for me, the New York Yankees, I believe that they will uh, end up second in the division this year. I know that a lot of people like them to be third. Uh, I'm going with the Yankees being second. I'm optimistic. They've gotten better on defense. They, they've heightened their wins above replacement with the trades that they made. So I think that the Yankees will be somewhere 90, 95 to 99 wins. This division will beat up on itself. It's a tough division. And I think the Yankees will get second place in the division. And the New York Yankees, when it comes to the playoffs, 
we will continue to talk about that, and I'll let you know exactly where, what I got the Yankees doing in the playoffs when that time comes. But for right now, that is my prediction on the New York Yankees. Let's go, Yanks. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Stone Cold Steve Austin made a comeback to WrestleMania. I was excited when I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm not going to lie. He was um, he was a little out of shape. Obviously, he hasn't done this for 19 years. But after 19 years, Stone Cold made a comeback. Even though if it was one night, a one-off, it was great. I loved it. Stone Cold Steve Austin against KO Kevin Owens, the man who took the stunner and tried to make it his own. Not as good as the original stunner, not as good as Stone Cold stunner, but he tried to make it his own stunner. Rare talk, rare sighting here of some WWE, but... Arguably the greatest superstar in the history of wrestling came back and made just an, an eye-popping return. I mean, I, when I mean I when I say eye-popping, I'm talking about when he came out and you just saw the the sea of people on their feet cheering him, just going crazy. For Stone Cold. I mean, I understand it. I'm not going to lie. Stone Cold wasn't my favorite guy back in the day, but he definitely was the most exciting guy. Now, my favorite guys in order were Undertaker and then The Rock, but Stone Cold Steve Austin gave you the bang for your buck entertainment. We're talking about everything that he did, everything that he was in and outside of the ring with that mic in his hand. Stone Cold was as close to the total package as you could have gotten in that time, you know, because his mic skills were just so great because he, he, he was just, he was himself turned up to 11 as they would say, or as he would say, nevertheless, getting into WrestleMania 38. And when I want to talk about, I just want to talk about Stone Cold. I don't want to talk about the whole night. I don't want to talk about how disappointed people were with Roman Reigns coming out on top and some people loving it and things like that. And, you know, whatever your side or your position on it, that's fine. That's cool. I don't want to talk about my favorite superstar in the business right now, Charlotte Flair, and her coming out on top yet again at another WrestleMania or whether you liked it or not. I don't care if you didn't like Charlotte coming out on top winning. I was I was with it. I'm always winning. I'm always with Charlotte Flair. So, Charlotte, continue to do what you got to do. But that's not what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about The Undertaker, um, the Hall of Fame speech. I might, you know, I, I spoke about that. I, I didn't speak about the Hall of Fame speech, obviously, but spoke about The Undertaker's career back in 2020. I did a tribute show to him. I was definitely... Um, Appreciative of The Undertaker uh, will always remain my my favorite superstar, uh, especially now that I don't watch WWE. 
very very seldom and if i do watch it it's most likely going to be wrestlemania or if i know the undertaker is going to do something i know the rock is going to do something then i i might tune in so nevertheless stone cold steve austin making a comeback stone cold steve austin you know he was exciting back in 97 98 99 2000 he was exciting those years you know, 2001, a little less, he, he was injured and, you know, he was doing, he, he was doing the thing with Kurt Angle and Vince McMahon and uh, he was trying to be a heel, you know, trying to get booed, basically, you know, because to me, Stone Cold was a heel his whole career. The only problem is that, you know, the, the only thing is that he changed the way that he did things uh, and he got cheered. So obviously Stone Cold continued to do heel things bad guy things when you look at what's the, the the destruction and the stuff that stone cold did he was still a heel he was still a bad guy you know the the, the problem is or the, the thing is at who he aimed it people loved it so he was cheered he was a baby face at that time um so he didn't really change much in 2001 just at who he directed his anger towards and he 2001, he directed his anger toward the fans instead of toward Vince McMahon. So he kept doing the same stuff. He kept being the same kind of guy. Stone Cold was always a heel. It was great to see Stone Cold back at WrestleMania 38, uh, the most stupendous WrestleMania of all time, as Vince McMahon would say. It was awesome to see him back. I was really, really joyed to see Stone Cold I was ecstatic to see the way that the fans reacted, how they just came unglued, came out of their chairs. Everybody was standing for that entire match. You know, I I didn't personally, I didn't like the way that the match started. I thought that Stone Cold should have got up out of his chair. Stone Cold should have thought a little bit about it. You know, what he was being presented to by Kevin Owens. Um, and then he should have flew across the ring. And he should have... He should have closed on him right out of the chair. And said something. Maybe to the effect of, I'll take your challenge. Or ask people in the crowd. Well, you know, most likely I would have liked it if he would ask people in the crowd. If you want to see me, you know, kick his butt. Give me a hell Yeah. You know, or something to that effect, and then he would have said, ah, "I'll take your little challenge," and then start stumping a mu stumping a mud hole in him. You know, but that's just me. That's that. That's that's what I I thought the way it should have started. But I think that they wanted the people to have that anticipation to build up like a volcano, and the referee ran down the ring stone cold said get me a referee you know just building 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 the people up into a frenzy but i think that they did the i i think they went i think that was anti that like it went the other way for me it didn't work well i'm sitting there on the couch i'm watching i'm like okay he's thinking about it. he's sitting down he's been retired for 19 years so he's not saying no because of his neck you know he's going to take the challenge if he's sitting there so long thinking about it, I mean it's wrestling. I mean, come on now. I, I to me, I, I didn't I didn't feel that kind of surge and that I didn't feel that kind of anticipation 
like the way that you felt that anticipation for, you know, when you finally get Hulk Hogan and Andre Giant in the ring at WrestleMania three, when you finally get um, that 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 match that you really wanted, that anticipation that you build throughout the whole venture, you know, throughout the whole time, you know, I just didn't feel it because I'm like, I know it's coming. So make the make the start a little bit more exciting than, than what you did, having the referee run all the way down. We know you're going to fight. Referee's running all the way down. Kevin Owens getting one quarter. You're getting it in the other corner. I get it. You, you know, it's kind of like a boxing style thing. You got going to your neutral corners. You're stretching, you know, and, and you're trying to build that volcano. But people knew it was coming. Like, you, you knew it was going to happen. So you just, you, I wanted that quick smash mouth thing first. Like, really, really fast. Get out the gate really fast because I understood you were going to fight. That could just be me. That's just my take. The match, you know, I, I didn't expect much out of the match. Stone Cold's been out the ring for 19 years. And he's obviously, you know, taking a lot of bumps. He's gone through the whole neck thing, the back thing, the knee things. You saw the two braces on, on, his, on his knees with another indication that let you know, like, hey, he's about to be in a match. Because Stone Cold, whenever he fought after the year 2000, what he had was two braces on his leg. On each, he had a brace on each knee. So you knew he was, was going to get in the ring. Come on now. So kind of anticlimactic there at the start of the match. But nevertheless, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I, I think that he did great. He um, didn't do too much which a lot of guys coming out of retirement, they want to show the people, I still got one more in me. I'm going to come off the top rope. I'm going to take this big, huge bump. And then that's the way you get messed up because your body starts getting hardened throughout the years. As you continue to take these bumps, you know, your mind and everything continues to like, you know, just get used to it. So it's hard to just come in one night a year. Ask the Undertaker. He used to do it for a couple of years. And have this match and bump yourself all around this hard ring and these turnbuckles and this steel, um, you know, turnpost and the cement floor and all these things get hit by chairs and whatever. It's tough to do that when you're no longer conditioned to do that. So especially after 19 years, I appreciate the Stone Cold knew like, hey, man, I'm not going to go out there and do all this crazy stuff. I'm going to be ground and pound. I'm going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm going to get a lot of kicks in there, a lot of punches in there. And I'm going to drink a lot of beer. That's what Stone Cold did. That's He excited the fans. He took one big bump when they went out. And I appreciate the fact that they went out into the crowd. And they had the little area where they, where they fought. Stone Cold took a big bump. You know, the, the back suplex on, on, on concrete. I mean, there's no give there. There's no setup there. You know, there's, there's no way around that. So I appreciate that from Stone Cold that he at least took one big bump. And that was it. But Kevin Owens, the guy who carried the match uh, by taking, you know, most of the big bumps and things like that and the high spots. And, you know, I, I just I, I like that. Kevin Owens, the younger, fresher, stronger guy at this point, you know, just said, hey, I am going to do the work here and I'm going to let I'm going to make Stone Cold look good. And he did. Now, physically, you could tell Stone Cold's done. He can no longer do this. But to come back as a one nighter, as a one off, hey. I thought it was great. I have no complaints about the match itself. You know, you could just obviously see Steve is not Steve anymore. But, hey, none of us are going to be 
who we are, if we take all those bumps the way that he took them, and then we take 19 years off and come back for one night, it's just not going to happen. So for whoever expected Steve Austin to be the guy he was in 97 or 98, just not going to happen. Um, so if you're disappointed at that, too bad for you. I didn't expect that. Um, so I got kind of what I expected from Steve physically. And, you know, Steve, man, I think he probably drank about two dozen beers out there something like that during the match kept getting the people hyped and you know obviously whenever the people hear that and they see that they are like yeah man like we love this visual steve just crunching up these beers and all this uh bubbles coming out and all over his shirt and obviously he didn't take off his shirt either because you know not gonna look the way he used to so i thought it was a great move by him and he excited the people it was exciting to see him. I was, you know, watching it from somebody with my, watching it with somebody from my church. And, you know, he's, he's a fan from back then too. And he was like, man, like, it's just great to see him again. Honestly, like, it's just great to just experience the hypeness that he brings. So kudos to Stone Cold Steve Austin for coming back down that one night, doing what he did. Kudos to Kevin Owens for carrying Stone Cold. I love the finish. Um, Stone Cold's not too athletic anymore, so you're not going to go too far, too crazy. You know, you're not going to try to get like the Undertaker got at WrestleMania 30 and then, you know, got on, you know, went unconscious and things like that or try to do what he did at WrestleMania, I believe, what was it, 33, I believe, with Roman Reigns. And obviously the match didn't come out well. And, you know, you just saw what happened. It wasn't good. So he didn't, he didn't try to do all that. So... You know, shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin and KO for understanding the moment, understanding what Stone Cold could do and can't do, and going out there and putting on a good show. So Kevin Owens comes out. He's about to hit Stone Cold with a chair. Stone Cold, obviously, you saw, like, I knew, like, it's, you know, he's going to get out the way, and Kevin Owens is going to hit himself in the head with the chair. I didn't know it was going to be the end of the match, but you knew that spot was coming when, you know, Kevin Owens is going to hit himself in the head. And then, obviously, he turns around, gets a stunner for his trouble, and Stone Cold, you know, uh, gives him a beer bath and gives himself a beer bath, cheers off with the fans, and everybody's just excited. He has a couple minutes there with the fans to himself to celebrate one last time, and that was completely, completely great. I love that, just to hear the music blasting and the glass shattering, and the people just completely going unglued and crazy for him was just, you know, just a sight to behold. Something I haven't seen since the Attitude Era, when we were just coming completely unglued and going crazy in the arenas and our television sets, you know, because it was just the best time. So shout out to Steve for that. Um, you know, and then he gave Owens an, another stunner for his trouble. So just a ju just a good night for Steve all around. Night two, he comes out, he stuns Vince, he stuns Pat McAfee. Great stuff. People get to see him two nights in a row. WrestleMania, you know, I I think he probably stole the spotlight at WrestleMania. I mean, for me, that's that's the thing that I come out thinking for me. You know, it's it's three things. It's Roman, eh, he won, all right. You know, I probably Brock Brock should have won, but Roman's the guy right now, and I wanted to see him as a heel, and it's fine that he's a heel. Hopefully, it sets up to him and and Rock, you know, sometime next year. So we will see what happens with that. Hopefully, him and Rock. Square off Rock being the babyface and Roman being the heel. Hopefully that's the WrestleMania main event at 39. And for me, Charlotte Flair obviously winning, uh, you know, continuing to remain the number one woman in the business. And then 
For me, number one is Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that's why I'm talking about it today. I think he stole the show both nights. I think he, he's what you remember coming out of both nights. But it could just be me. Uh, to finish off this segment, just on a lighter note, um, I, I just you know wanna wanna talk about one of the greats of all time and just going back to um going back to the attitude era going back to one of the greatest heels of all time um one of my favorites ever probably my favorite or second favorite heel of all time being uh you know Triple H uh, to hear him come out and to, you know, do the thank you to the fans was, was a little sad. And the eras, they just continue to fade away. The Undertaker is gone. He's a Hall of Famer. I know he said never say never. You know, maybe one day he'll do a one-off. But Triple H was on with Stephen A. Smith, and he was talking about, you know, he had a defibrillator in his heart. He didn't know. He thought he was at the one-yard line. Doctors thought he was at the one-yard line. You know, he had he had some heart issues and things like that. Somebody had told me the other day, like, hey, Triple H is done. And I was like, oh, I don't believe it. You know, boxers come back for one night for a mega payday, and they take a beating, and... They, they get paid and wrestlers could do the same thing. It's not a business you actually retire from, you know, but, you know, the person told me, no, uh, Triple H had the defibrillator in his heart. And I went and saw the interview and I was like, wow, you know, he said, yeah, I'm done. He said, I can't go anymore. I have a defibrillator in my heart and I, you don't want to see me zapped right in the middle of the ring, which is true. Uh, I, I love the fact that he left his boots right in the middle of the ring and then you know, kind of like proclaiming he's the new Vince McMahon, just said, welcome to WrestleMania. That was harking back to Vince McMahon saying, welcome to WrestleMania at WrestleMania 1 in Madison Square Garden. So that's the mecca of sports. And now you have the place that fits to most people in sports. So the biggest place in sports, Jerry's World, you know, he did the whole welcome to WrestleMania thing. So for me, I think that he's going to be that kind of guy going forward, the authority again. You know, just a guy who can talk, but you're not going to hit him. He's not going to hit you or nothing like that. He's going to be the talking figure. He's going to be the guy that's probably going to get under your skin after a little while. Because fans are still going to, you know, say, hey, you know, this Triple H, he has a defibrillator. But after a while, you'll probably forget about it. And he'll go back to being hated and, you know, pushing the favorite babyface character to the top, over the top. You know, because Triple H is just way better as a heel. He's way better as a bad guy. He's... The way he talks, the way he moves, the way he wrestles is just much, much better. World's better than, than whenever he's a babyface. So shout out to the 14-time world champion, five-time Intercontinental champion, uh, one of the founding members of DX, you know, one of the most important guys in, in, the, in the Monday Night Wars, one of the most important guys, or if not the most important guy of ruthless aggression, you know, maybe top three for sure. Uh, but shout out to Triple H, man. He's, he's, 
He came in in 1995. I remember him in WrestleMania 12 in 96, getting ran over by the Ultimate Warrior. I remember him, you know, doing the curtain call, being in the doghouse for a couple months. He was supposed to win the 96 uh, King of the Ring, but that got pushed back. And then Stone Cold came in and, and he did what he had to do and took over. But then Triple H won the 1997 King of the Ring and it was just his time. You know, he became the Intercontinental Champ, the European Champ. He was the second fiddle to Shawn Michaels. And it worked out well for him because the timing was just right. So I just tip my hat to him on a great career. And it's, you know, just really sad to see the end of that career um, come to an end. But shout out to Triple H. Shout out to The Undertaker. Shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, truly the end of an era. And that saddens me. But, you know, the business must go on. This is All Talks of Life, and I'm your host, Chris Beniquez.